Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. time to open your Bibles. We put them back in the pews for you if you need one. It'll be up on the screen. Genesis 48, as we study the gospel according to Joseph. Genesis 48. You'll remember uh, last week we said that our mission as God's family is to be an outward blessing to the nations, right? Today, We learned that our mission is not just to be an outward blessing to the nations, but to be a downward blessing to the next generation. Uh, Back before the peace accords with the FARC, Columbia's Ministry of Defense noticed a very interesting trend with members of the FARC. They noticed that every year more FARC members demobilized at Christmas than at any other time in the year. From that trend was born this brilliant idea. Someone thought, what if we stopped treating FARC members just as bad guys? What if we actually appealed to their humanity? What if we remembered that they were human and that maybe they felt lonely, isolated? Maybe they felt regret over their... Uh, destructive vocation. And what better time to do that, to appeal to their humanity than at Christmas when they're already thinking, man, I wish that I could go home and be with my family. That's why at Christmas in 2013, Colombian government launched a campaign called Mother's Voice. They found 30 or 40 mothers whose sons were um, fighting with the FARC, in the FARC. The mothers were spotlighted on TV. Some of you may remember that. Um, Some of the mothers showed their faces, which would have been incredibly risky for them. All of the mothers brought pictures of their sons when they were little boys, and that was by design so that the sons would see their own picture and they would hear the voice of their mother and they would know that they were aiming at them In particular, the broadcast went out. There were posters that were put up, pasted all over Colombia to feature the message of Mother's Voice. What was the message of Mother's Voice? Before being a guerrilla, you are my son. Come back home. I'm waiting for you. Before being a guerrilla, you are my son. Come back home. I'm waiting for you. And it worked. That's the power of mother's voice. You know, as this study of the life of Joseph ends, we take another look at Jacob. Jacob is dying in this passage. It actually takes him like three chapters to die, but he's dying in this passage. And when you and I think about death and dying, we often think things like, geez, is it going to hurt? Am I going to be alone? Um, what exactly happens to me 
after I die? And it is remarkable that Jacob, Israel, isn't concerned about those things. What he is most concerned about is what happens to the next generation. What happens to God's people? What happens to my children and their children and their children? And so with all of his dying power, he summons his voice to do what? To bless the next generation. To bless the next generation. Is that something that you're doing in your life? Are you using the voice that God has given you to be a blessing Not just to the nations, but to the next generation. If we listen to Jacob in this passage, he'll give us three ways to do it. He wants us to use our connected voice, our prophetic voice, and our voice that is in tune with the gospel of grace. So I want you to listen as I read Genesis chapter 48. Would you go ahead and stand as we acknowledge that God's word is worth standing for? Starting in verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me, and he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, And I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, His younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. 
He blessed them that day, and he said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. The grass withers, the flowers they fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever and ever. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. What I just read to you is beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful scene. Uh, It's dripping, dripping with fatherly affection for the next generation. Culturally, this would not have been an unusual scene. This is the way things went in those days when a patriarch was dying. He would gather the family around his deathbed and he would pronounce blessings on his family members. This is more than just like saying sweet things to people who mean a lot to you. This was an official transfer. This was a way of officially connecting my legacy to your legacy. Jacob is connecting his story with the story of Joseph and his sons. And so he asked God to bless those boys And he says in verse 16, May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. You carry my legacy. You carry my name. You carry the family and our mission forward from this day on. It would have been a massive honor and responsibility. Um, I love some of the details here. You know me, I love to think about these things when they show up in the text. 147-year-old Jacob hears that Joseph is coming to him. He kind of grunts and cracks, squeaks his way up into sitting position, right? He's 147 years old. You know, that hurts. He can't really see all that well anymore. Joseph, who are these blurry figures that that are with you? Dad, these are my sons. These are the sons God has given to me. And then verses 9 and 10. Bring them here so I can bless them, Joseph. Joseph brings the boys close. Jacob embraces them and he kisses them. I doubt Joseph has a dry eye. I bet these boys will remember this every single day for the rest of their lives. The boys are hugged in tight. Joseph, it seems, is hugged in there. Also, there's this mixture of of arms and cross-handed blessings and hugs. It's a beautiful moment where the generations are all tangled up in an embrace of blessing. And that's what I want for our church. That's what I want. That moment is what I want for our church. We, the church, we are an intergenerational community, aren't we? It's beautiful. It doesn't happen very often in society. God wants us to leverage that dynamic. And in order to do so, we need to get all tangled up in one another's lives. We need to get so tangled up in one another's lives that it's just natural to receive blessing from people who are older than you in the faith. And it's just natural to give 
blessing to those of you who who may be younger uh, in the faith. You, you have something to give to the next generation, and you don't have to be a parent just to get it. Did you hear me? The way God has designed His covenant family is He really does want one community to be a blessing to the community under them. So you, whether or not you are a biological parent, you in God's family are a covenant parent, and you have something to give away to the next generation. And as beautiful as this deathbed moment is with Jacob, please let's not wait until we're dying to give ourselves away to the next generation. Let's go ahead and get tangled up in one another's lives, giving and receiving blessing while God allows us time with each other. What I just said is a huge challenge in the world that you and I woke up in today. Why do I say that? Um, It's because now more than ever, there is a great disconnection between the generations. Really, ever since the Industrial Revolution, we can talk about that sometime if you'd like, generations have been distancing uh, themselves from one another more and more and more, even to the point that today there are distinct cultures between generations, so that talking to the next generation feels about as cross-cultural as walking into Beijing, China, and trying to understand what's going on. That's the world we live in today. There's actually a a fascinating sociological reality that's happening right before our eyes. I've mentioned this to you a few times. If you've ever been in our parenting cross-cultural kids, you've heard me say this. It has to do with the onset and duration of adolescence. What is adolescence? How does it start? Well, it starts biologically, okay? Uh, I know you didn't come prepared for the talk, but we're going to have it just a little bit. Your voice starts to change, and your body grows and develops, and you have started puberty. You have officially entered adolescence. How does adolescence end culturally, right? You, you move away, or there's some big rite of passage for you in that culture, or you get married, or you get a real job or something. So it starts biologically. It ends culturally. Here are the numbers. Before the 1900s, adolescence started biologically at age 14 and a half and ended culturally at age 16, one and a half years of adolescence. 1961, adolescence starts at age 13 biologically, ends culturally at age 18. That's kind of the way we usually picture it, right? 2000, the year 2000, adolescence starts biologically age 12, ends culturally at age 24. We've gone from a year and a half now to 12 years of adolescence. Today, in real time, and it's probably changing, (laughs) adolescence starts biologically on average age 10, and it ends culturally age 30. 20 years of adolescence. Wow. How does, that, how does that happen? That kids are starting puberty earlier and earlier and earlier, but they're delaying adolescence more and more and more. What's going on? There are a number of factors that mix into this. There have to be. But one of the key factors is this. The next generation feels more and more, and more abandoned by the adults in their lives than they ever have before. 
So much so that biologically, what is happening is their little brains are saying, hey, kid, you're all alone. Look around. You don't have caring adults in your life. It's time for you to grow up and fend for yourselves. And then the end of adolescence is delayed more and more and more. Why? It's because young people lack caring, loving adults to walk with them through life's most difficult questions into a healthy adulthood. And so it lasts longer and longer and longer. And that, United Church, is why we must be entangled with each other, generationally speaking. That's why we have to connect. How are you going to connect? Look, we're starting to get back to normal launching some of the ministries that have been dormant for the last two years nearly. Nursery, preschool over there happening now. You can hear it. It's beautiful. Children's ministry coming in a month for our older kids. Middle school youth ministry happening after the service today. High school youth ministry happening every single Friday night right here at the church. University group ministry meeting today led by the the Grams. Uh, Young adult singles ministry led by one of our elders, Justin, and his team happening today after the service. And then you heard us announce Young Marrieds group, uh, which is going to start up again on Saturday. You don't have to pick one of those or all of those, but if you're looking for a way to connect with young people in your covenant community, there are some options to chat with those leaders and say, hey, how can I help? Even if I'm just praying or resourcing or meeting or what, how, how can I be a part of being entangled with the next generation so that we can stop this sociological reality we see before our eyes. That's the connected voice I'm talking about. And when we connect in a meaningful, loving way to the next generation, we earn the right to use our prophetic voice. And what do I mean by a prophetic voice? Well, I don't mean that we just like wave our hands magically over our kids and we predict the future for them, right? That's not what I mean. That's not going to work well. Um, I also don't mean that we just speak and like produce scripture that is now binding for them and binding for everyone who happens to hear it. By prophetic voice, I mean taking moments, key moments to say bold, truthful things from God to the next generation. Now, it just so happens that you see in this passage that the patriarchs all had that kind of predictive sort of prophetic voice. That's actually why Joseph gets upset with his dad. He's like, Joseph, cross, Jacob, your, your cross-handed blessing, he's younger, he should get the older blessing, but you, but you mixed it up. And Jacob's like, I know, I know, but I know from God directly that the younger is going to be greater in terms of the tribe and its influence that comes from him than the older. And that's why I'm saying this bold thing, because it's the right thing to say directly from God. There's something to find, uh, to learn there, and that is when you speak prophetically into the next generation, it is a countercultural activity. Go back to that distance that I mentioned that exists between the cultures, this cultural distance. Um, The reason adolescence lasts as long as it does is because uh, young people lack that prophetic voice to guide them through some of these hard questions. 
Here's the funny thing, though. When you speak to young people, almost all of them are desperate to have a mentor. They are. But they're just too afraid to ask for it. And those of you who are over the age of 30, you look at young people and you say, geez, so much energy and potential, but man, they need to be mentored. But we're too afraid to initiate that relationship. And so we get this like middle school dance scenario where we stay on our side of the dance floor, they stay on their side, and we just kind of look at each other awkwardly, but nobody is going to take the first move toward the other. That's a big problem because it's not biblical, first of all. It's not biblical to huddle up generationally and never interact with older or younger generations. And second of all, because we're missing a massive, massive opportunity to change the world. Just humor me for a second. Theologian, writer, sociologist, Oz Guinness grew up as a third culture kid. He goes around, he speaks, he writes, etc. He gets asked this question a lot. Oz, if you, could, if you could choose to be born in one generation, which generation would you choose? This is what he says. I'd want to be born now because the next generation now is the crunch generation. What does that name mean? This is what he says. Humanity's most important issues are all converging at the same time. Economic, technological, demographic, social, political, medical, environmental, nuclear. If the coming generation answers these questions responsibly, the world can look forward to calmer sailing. But if they are answered badly or not at all, then the future of mankind is turbulent. Think about that. By the way, I don't know if you, notice, if you know this, but, but if you're over the age of 30, you're outnumbered in the world. You realize that? There are more young people in the world than there are old people like me and the rest of you who are over the age of 30. You have a voice right now. But here's the thing. Your voice will not be the deciding voice. Their voice will be the deciding voice. And so our best strategy is to help the next generation develop responsible voices, godly voices that navigate these issues and make the right decision in these issues. And if we do that, we can change the world by God's grace and power. That's why we need to courageously step up and use our prophetic voice. That's why we need to speak, shape, mentor, guide on God's behalf. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, okay, okay, I get it. I have no idea what God wants me to say to the next generation. That's good if you realize that. Please don't make something up. Right? Please don't just innovate. Uh, God is telling me that uh, you should marry this person. Don't, don't, don't do that, please. Um, let me give you an example, okay? What we can say clearly to the next generation, knowing it is from God, is actually stuff we find right here in this book, or that can be logically deduced from this book. Not culture, but from the book. So, for example, don't say, young person, 
God wants you to do mission. Therefore, if you don't go on this mission trip, then you are sinning against God. What's the matter with you? Don't say that. Rather, say this. God wants us to do mission. It's sinful to resist doing God's mission. But guess what? There are lots of ways to do God's mission. Here are some of the ways that I have found God has given me to do His mission practically. You know what? This mission trip may be one of those opportunities for you, or maybe not, but I would love to listen to you talk about it and weigh it out, and let's figure that out together. What do you think? Do you see it? That's how we speak prophetically into the next generation. We listen to God in ways He has spoken clearly. Let me tell you one way that I know he has spoken clearly and that I know he wants you to communicate with the next generation. God wants our conversations with the next generation to be in tune with the gospel of grace that we find throughout the scriptures. Okay, so you connect, you use your prophetic voice, but don't you dare be another adult telling young people, listen, if you just do this and do this and don't do that, then God will love you more. Don't do that. Don't do that. Speak words that are in tune with the grace of the gospel. Jacob, at this point in his life, gets it. He does. He's oozing the gospel of grace at this point of his life. He says it. Look, none of the blessings that I have received were blessings I deserve. To begin with, most of these blessings came to me before I was even born. Verses 3 and 4, God Almighty, for example, appeared to me and blessed me saying, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I'll make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you know what was happening in my life, I wasn't like in a very good place. I was on the run from my brother who wanted to kill me because I stole away the blessing my dad was trying to give to him. And yet, God looked upon me favorably, graciously, and gave me blessing that I did not deserve. Why? Because that's what God does with his people. He's gracious to us, giving us what we don't deserve. And you, Joseph, you and these boys, I never thought I would ever see any of you or any of this. It's God keeping his promises yet again. He keeps his promises to our messed up family, and he's going to continue to keep his promises to you because that's what he does. In fact, he will never leave you because he's never left me. Verse 21, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. In fact, Joseph, I have wandered all my life from here and there in good places, in bad places. But verse 15, God, he has always personally been my shepherd. Because you belong to him, he'll be your shepherd too. No matter where you go. No matter how bad you are, no matter how bad you mess up, God will be your shepherd. That's why you can follow him, because in all of his abundant love and kindness and undeserved affection and blessing, he will be with you no matter what. He'll never leave you no matter 
what? He's your shepherd. He'll lead you all the way home. He can say that. Look, you and I know the rest of the Bible. We know the real good shepherd. How much more can we say Jesus will be your good shepherd all the days of your life? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He loves you no matter what. How much more can we say that to the young people in our lives? This is the message of grace. This is the gift we give the next generation. That when they get it, they'll carry it for the rest of their lives. I read a little bit more about Os Guinness, who I mentioned earlier to you, his story, because I'm like, oh, he's a, he's a third culture kid. That's cool. He grew up as a missionary kid in China, actually. Um, this is what he writes. He says, I grew up in China, in a China that had been ravaged by two centuries of European and American adventuring, and then by World War II and a brutal civil war. And so at age five, he finds himself in an airplane seat, bouncing around by himself on his way to boarding school, age five. Why? Because his missionary parents didn't have another educational option where they were serving. This is what he writes. It was the first time in my life that I had been away from my parents and on my own. So to give me a constant reminder of the North Star of the faith at the center of our family, my father had searched for two small, smooth, flat stones, and he painted on them his life motto and that of my mother. For many years, those two stones were tangible memos in the pocket of my gray flannel shorts. In my right-hand pocket was my father's motto, found faithful. And in my left-hand pocket was my mother's, please him. Found faithful, please him. That was their enduring voice as their little boy went off on his own to boarding school. Found faithful, please him. That was their enduring voice as Mao Zedong comes in and in a very bloody fashion turns over the country and kicks out all the missionaries, including Oz and his family. Found faithful, please him. But it has to be in that order. Found faithful first, then please Him. If you've switched the order, please Him so that you will be found faithful. You just created a different religion not named Christianity. Get it? Found faithful first, please Him. That's the message in tune with the gospel. In Jesus Christ, through His life that was given to us, through His death and His resurrection, you and I are found faithful his faithfulness through the scandalous transaction on the cross was transferred and exchanged for our unfaithfulness. And so the Father is pleased with us in Jesus Christ. We are found faithful, and it's because he is pleased with us in Christ that we can please him, found faithful, please him. I didn't tell you why the Colombian government chose mothers and their voices instead of somebody else and their voices. Many of those men that were fighting for the FARC were actually very afraid that they were going to get back to their families and their families were going to reject them. But they knew that there was something about mothers, good mothers, that would prevent that from happening. That's because a good mom could never reject her boy. 
A good mom is one of the few people in the world who will accept you back no matter how bad you've been. Accept you back just as you are. That's what a good mom does. And so before being a guerrilla, you are my son. Come back home. I'm waiting for you. There's power in a voice like that. God, our Father, is embodied in mothers like that. That looks a lot like the way He looks at us. And so what if we, as a community of believers, could embody our God in that way to the next generation? Not just in the way we use our voice, but the way we treat the next generation through the grace and the acceptance of Jesus. What if we could do that? That is the call, church. To hear from the Father, to transmit what you hear from the Father to the next generation. God loves you no matter what. God loves you no matter what. That's the voice of the Father. That's the voice of the Father crying out over all of us this morning. You are my beloved son in Christ. You are my beloved daughter in Christ with whom I am well pleased. Come back home. I'm waiting for you. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this beautiful passage. We would ask that it would not stay cold uh, for our hearts, but that it would warm us up and overflow in us to the nations and the next generation, that people would hear all over the world from us that you love them no matter what, that you invite them to come to you. Would you please do that by your spirit? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.